Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Clutch Talk podcast slash YouTube slash We Do It All. As always, I'm your host, John. Very happy to be here. My boy, Jay Hiz over here in the six. How you doing, baby? Doing great. Uh, ready to talk about my, I'm just going to say it now, my prediction for the for the titled season this year for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, and we got a great guest as well on from, from the Lockdown podcast with the Nets, uh, Doug Norrie. So introduce yourself, Doug, and, and tell the fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just excited to talk about the Nets are an easy team to talk about at this point, uh, just because of the overwhelming star power. So it doesn't take a total expert at this point to to make some pretty salient points about the Nets, but uh, always happy to talk about them. Well, man, well, Doug, we are very excited to have you on, man. And for all for all the fans, guys, make sure that you guys do go check out Doug's work at the Locked On uh, Locked On Nets podcast, man. I'm going to leave everything in the description down below, all the links. So just make sure you guys Go check that out because Doug's got some great work on there. But uh, if all that's out the way, you guys ready to get into this Nets talk? Always. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. So, Doug, the first question that we like to ask uh, our fans here for these fan interviews is, as a Nets fan, are you content with how this last year just went? You mean the previous season? Like, yeah. uh, leave, um, I mean, it's hard to be content because they – it was sort of championship or bust based on how they sort of rolled through the season, getting hardened. Obviously when you have that group of superstars at the top, really at that point, you're only talking about championships and everything else can be a disappointment based on context because of the injuries. Um, they were so shorthanded by the time it was the end of the season, uh, specifically in that buck series that it's hard to really blame anybody for that because it was sort of Kevin Durant, half of James Harden, no Kyrie, you know, they had a bunch of they had other sort of like nagging injuries that were causing them problems. So it wasn't satisfying. I do. I do want to I, I, if I can remember back at the moment that they ended up losing um, in that game six to the Bucks, I didn't feel disappointed in a way that felt like it was devastating because there was at that point they were so decimated by injuries. And so it was hard to really envision how it was going to keep going. Uh, I think. They've set up for themselves um, so much for success at this point that I think if they came out of this year with a similar result, it would be much more difficult to take. I mean, short of like a meteor hitting Barclays or something like that. But um, overall, overall, it's hard to be so disappointed about it. And it's it's easy to get excited about this season for sure. Yeah, man, it's it's hard to be disappointing because, you know, we can't we can't control injuries, you know, injuries, just injuries just just happen uh, all of a sudden. But, you know, I definitely want to I definitely want to run this hypothetical with you real quick, Doug. And I just want to see if, if Kyrie doesn't get hurt or if you had a, a full James Harden or just one or the other. Is that enough to win to beat the Bucks? Oh, last year, it's a wrap. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's not even close. I, it was all it was close with out the other two guys. And so, I mean, at that point, Harden, at best, he was like 70% or something like that. He really couldn't get out in transition. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's usually in his bag was not really there near the end of the series that like the one-on-one ISO stuff, top of the key, uh, like the little step back stuff. He was really, he didn't have his legs underneath him for a lot of it. He was coming up short on a lot of shots. And so you could just tell he wasn't a hundred percent and he's still better than Mike James or Chris Chioza who like were the were Tyler Johnson, who were the options at that point, 70% a Harden is better than most other basketball players. But if he's, if he's a hundred percent or he's out and Kyrie's there, it's not close. They, the, the problem they had last year was they really 
when it came to ISO scoring or um, just sort of getting the spots, they really only Kevin Durant was able to do it. They really didn't have a single other option offensively that they could rely on. And either one of those guys at 100% gives them the scoring that they needed. Defensively, that wasn't really a problem. They were really kind of handling the Bucs for the most part. It was just that they just, if Kevin Durant wasn't scoring, they had so few options. So, yeah, I, I think I can pretty easily say if either one of those two guys are there, I th- and I don't think that's even a hot take. I think most people agree with that. It's that, it, you know, maybe even the Bucks, if with a gun to their head, would agree to it too. It's just if either one of those two guys are there, I think it's a wrap. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, Doug, I, I had a chance to listen to uh, your episode that dropped today, and you talked about, you know, briefly about the preseason game. Obviously, you can't put too much weight on uh, the preseason in terms of players and reserves playing, but we got a chance to see, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, and I know you talked a, a lot about uh, Bruce Brown and his emergence and how he played uh, in, in that preseason game. So you re- want to talk about a little bit what you saw in that preseason game and the reserves who may be able to make an impact uh, this upcoming season. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, it's preseason, so it's hard to take too much stock in it. With Bruce Brown, though, at least we've seen a sample size of his ability to ingratiate himself on the court with the other three because at this point with the Nets, it's really about how you play with the other three guys. Like you need to be, have a game that complements those three guys. And, um, and so we already saw a season of him where he comes over from the Pistons. He's sort of like this combo guard. You're not really sure what he is. He couldn't really shoot at all. And he played a lot of what's called, you know, I don't know. You, your fans probably know this, but he played at what it's called like short roll center. So he, um, He's a super small guy, but if you want to qualify where he played for most of the season, it was really actually played center for the Nets. No one would ever, you know, put him like that in fantasy or in the media guide, but that's really what, that's really what he played. And so you get this, you get this kind of guy who can take point of attack defense off those shoulders of of Harden and Kyrie. You get a guy who can, who's really, really good about like slip screens and um, finding open spots on the court. And we already knew he could do all that stuff. The question was whether he could actually, um, actually punished defenses on the offensive end when he wasn't getting to the glass. And what we saw in the preseason game, and it's look, it's two shots, so I, I don't know. But he hit two three-pointers that were above the break threes, which are not the easiest shot in the NBA to make. And I don't think he's going to be really taking those during the season because that's not where they're going to want him positioned when he's with the rest of the, the other three superstars. But I said on the podcast, if he's the kind of guy that now can take that short roll game, but also punish defenders by leaking to the corner and be able to make corner threes. Like if you think it's not a perfect example, but like a PJ Tucker type, um, if he can punish guys like that, then it's, then they really, really have something. He did not do that last year. And so if, if the three pointer is the thing that he's going to add to his game, he actually is a really pretty impiece excuse me, pretty important piece for the nets at this point, because his versatility around the other aspects of the game is really nice. Is a really nice compliment to the superstars. Yeah, man. And you know, you, you know, Doug, you talked about, you talked about some of that, that, that three point shooting and that leads, and that leads me right perfectly to my, so to my next point that I want to talk about with you. And that's uh, talk about some of the free agents that you guys were able to land, land this off season. I'll go ahead, kick it off with the biggest name. And that's, you know, that's Patty Mills. You know, you guys got the Australian Aussie, man. And then you guys were able to also sign big signing in Paul Millsap, uh, James Johnson, uh, you're able to uh, re-sign uh, Bruce Brown, like how you're talking about, bring black, bring black Blake Griffin. And most importantly, thank God we were able to get LaMarcus Aldridge back, man. So talk to us about how you feel about these, uh, these players, which, which player are you more, most excited about? Which player do you also feel that is going to have the most immediate impact on the team? 
Yeah, so just in general, the Nets offseason was just an absolute A-plus. Um, for a team that really didn't have that much in the way of, of salary cap stuff to be able to work with, um, they really maximized it. And so to the point where I can see like some people in the league were just a little, like, frankly, like, pissed about it because it was <laughs> they get mills they get millsap on a on a um veteran minimum which is kind of a joke and they bring back aldridge which i don't think anyone really thought was going to happen and he didn't really even entertain other offers from other places because of the way the nets handled his situation so there was two players right there that they just got for basically nba version of free and then they add mills who they actually did you know give out i think like six million bucks or something like that uh to and he is really interesting because veteran presence, he can do things that you know, we mentioned at the top of the podcast about things that the Nets were really missing near the end of the season last year, which was he's not an ISO scorer, but on ball, like sort of on ball guard play also can hit open shots if they're going to be available to him, can come in off the bench, has no like ego around that piece. And so there's not going to be any issue with whether he's starting or not there's no expectation he's going to start and so when you can add that stuff because the the nets are right now and we've talked about a lot of this a lot of times on the podcast is they're in a situation where they don't really need to be developing players but if the veteran presence is such a gift because you don't need to go about recoaching certain situations these guys just understand what needs to happen right they understand their roles they understand where they are and they're along their career trajectory and it, there's no ego about it at this point. They clearly know why they've come to the Nets. And so Mills really checks all those boxes and adds guard depth around like, look, at this point, Harden and Irving are great. They're not exactly it's, it's hard to 100 percent count on them to be on the court the entire time. Kyrie's got his own issues. I don't know if you're going to want to talk about that, but um, like there's, you know, clearly, you know, question. I'll leave it at question marks around where Kyrie is now. Harden was hurt during the season last year. Anything you can take off those two guys' plates in terms of ball handling, while also he's like a really good spot-up shooter. And if you're a good spot-up shooter in the Nets offense, you're just going to absolutely eat because the the defenses are so overcommitted to what you have to handle with the other three guys on offense that it creates so many open looks that it frankly becomes easy. And so being able, being able to put that – piece of his game together in a way like Joe Harris can't do that stuff like Joe Harris cannot really create his own shot in a way that Patty Mills can and so adding that because in that spot last year they had Mike James they had Tyler Johnson they had Chris Chioza he's such an upgrade over those guys that it's really laughable you that you no one would really even compare them so he's clearly the biggest offseason signing um, obviously had a big Olympics so you know he's a little bit more in the forefront of people's minds but uh, he's great. I can talk about Millsap and the, you know too, but I, I, the Mills piece was a, was a pretty important one for the for them to get. And you can just reference by how other teams were. Every team that was in contention was was trying to sign him. Like that's the, like that was that was clearly every team. Lakers, Warriors, every single team was in on was in on Patty Mills. And uh, sometimes you can just use that as a good test for whether it was a good signing or not. No, absolutely. Pat, you know, like you mentioned, Doug, Patty Mills, proven winner, uh, championship, comes from a championship organization, obviously with Pop and everything. So, yeah, you can't go wrong, Patty Mills. But my question to you is, and we're going to talk about Kyrie, because, I mean, obviously I, you saw the reports that uh, today he didn't couldn't practice because uh, of his vac- vaccination status. Yeah. So, obviously, that's, that's an issue inherently. And we know with Kyrie, he's kind of a wild card. If he's on the court, great, like you mentioned. If not, it's it's – you know, you never know where you're going to get with him um, is, is, is the story. But 
what what do you think that means for for Brooklyn um, in terms of you know their lineups and, and if they he's not able to start the season um, is Patty Mills going into the starting lineup or was he already going to start regardless what does that mean for for the Nets and and their kind of their pecking order without Kyrie and how yeah it's a it sucks to have to talk about it. Believe me, like my, my co-host Adam and Adam Armbrecht and I, we always, you know, I'm sure you guys do the same thing. You trade show notes beforehand about where you're going to talk about them. We always sort of just like sigh about having to do another episode around Kyrie and where, whether he's vaccinated or not. And I, we, I none, neither of us really are interested in talking about pandemic stuff because we're a basketball podcast. So um, kind of save that stuff for off air, but it becomes such a thing now that I, look after a couple of years of rooting for Kyrie, I, you kind of come to expect that there's going to be um, a certain level of nonconformity around him. It just, it is what it is. It's just, that's how he's been sort of every stop in his career. He can be a super great guy to root for. It can be absolutely rip your hair out stuff at times. Cause you're just like, Hey, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> and it's and for him, unfortunately it, it goes, I hate to say it goes beyond the vaccine thing, but there's just been other examples where he hasn't played for other reasons. And so some Nets fans have started to lose patience with this because it's like, well, last year it was, he took a personal respite for reasons that actually really people still don't totally understand the season before there was question marks about his injury and his timeline for returning. It was a little different that year because they weren't on a championship path. But um, so now that we're like in season three of this and now there's just another reason and each one is an independent thing, but um, it just becomes, it, it does make you wonder so like Wiggins goes and gets vaccinated because I'm sure he just did some back of the napkin math and said, I'm going to, this is how much I'm going to lose if I don't play. So <laughs> I just, right. I need to play. I don't think Kyrie actually worries about that stuff too much to the point where it was really hard to predict what his end game is. And I'm not, I don't know what his end game is. I, I, don't, I think sometimes with Kyrie, you don't know what the end game is. Like it's just, it's unclear to the point. Like so I heard one person say, if everyone didn't get the vaccine, he might be the first to go get it. Right. Because, because like that's just kind of sometimes how it rolls. Right. It's like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just nonconformity is this thing. So anyway, the, the, the long way to say I don't really know what's going to happen with him. I saw those reports that he's not practicing. I did not expect him be, to be able to practice because I think he needs to be through two rounds anyway. And the timeline wasn't going to be good enough based on his last thing that, that said he wasn't. Their first two games are on the road. And so he can play in those games. And like the first one's in Milwaukee. I forget where the second one is, but I guess there's hope that by that point, it's, it's kind of cleared. The owner was really clear about saying like, you need to do this. I, he didn't say it through those words, but he might as well have, if he doesn't, if he's not there, I know I'm taking forever with this answer. If he's not there, I don't think Patty Mills starts. I think it'll be like Harden. It'll be like Harden, Katie, Joe Harris, uh, like Bruce Brown and like Blake or something like that. I think they would go with something that was along the lines of what they had last year just because that's what's sort of known and it would be, it would, that would be, that would be the lineup. I don't think Patty Mills is going to start. I think they just have other options. And so uh, this is all to say, I really hope the situation from a basketball, strictly from a basketball perspective works out because I want him to be on the court for every single game. And if I had to bet my life on it right now, I would opt out of betting my life. Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's going to, I, I wouldn't feel confident around Kyrie's other stuff to like make a good decision about trying to guess what he's going to do. You, you know, Doug, just just to add a little bit on that Kyrie thing, man, like just me personally, like that. And I'm not even a Nets fan, like a just a diehard Nets fan. Like it just frustrates me so much. It yeah. frustrates me. It's like, man, like 
you get paid millions and millions of dollars. I get it. I get the personal break. I get that. But can you imagine if we regular people just said, hey, boss, I'm not coming into work for personal break. And that's it. Right. So I'm like, man, I just I had to throw it out there. Kyrie has been frustrating <laughs> me, not getting not trying to get the vaccine. Not, and he's whew, man, I had to get that out there, man. But so so uh, Doug, I'm going to keep pushing and then keep talking about um, another another guard that uh, and you guys haven't lost Kyrie yet. Hopefully you guys don't lose Kyrie, but another guy that you guys lost, you know, and that's the, that's Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, you guys uh, lost Spencer Dinwiddie in that, in that sign and trade w- w- with the wizards. And he was, he, he was injured this last season. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to see mu- much of him, but Spencer Dinwiddie is a bucket. And we, we remember when he was in his time with, with the nets, uh, with, with D'Angelo Russell really coming up. So I want to, I want to know, how do you feel about, about mi- losing a player like Spencer Dinwiddie who could have helped a lot, especially when, Kyrie's gone, you know, he could have stepped up and played some big minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, Spencer Dinwiddie is going to have a place in Nets fans heart for because he was really a bridge um, between these two iterations of this team. And I don't think that'll ever be forgotten. And so the Nets and I care. And there's other guys that are part of this group, too. It's like Karis LeVert's part of that group. Jared Allen, these guys that existed as frankly, they just balled out way beyond what they should have or whatever anyone expected them to. And it, and it made the Nets organization look so good because of it, because they were, they were winning games for a while with those guys. And Dinwiddie was such a big part of it um, when they really had no business winning these games. They were sort of a league average team. They made the playoffs with him. Um, and it was just, he, I think from that standpoint, he'll always have a place and in the Nets hearts. Now, the thing that happened with him was he basically outplayed, he outplayed, the money that the Nets were going to be able to afford to pay him. And that's really as, it's really as simple as that. It was the Nets only had a certain amount of money that they were going to be able to commit to free agents. He was going, he did and demand and rightfully so, and got way more. Like he was going to cost them something like four X, whatever they signed him for. So if they signed up for 10 million, it was going to cost them 40 million or something like that in luxury tax. And so at that point, it's just a numbers game. It's just, he's a great player, but he's not a $40 million player, which is essentially what it was going to be. Um, I love watching him. He, he was another guy that was sort of like a nonconformist. He's a little different. Um, he's just a very confident guy that uh, like kind of just knew, like always just continually bet on himself, which I always loved. Um, would always do crazy things. Like was going to like, you know, wanted to opt out, wanted to sell his contract for uh, <laughs> like, a, in, crypto. like a crypto. Yeah, the, the crypto assets, like make it like sort of like um, a commodity in terms that you could invest in. Like it was just, I don't think he was able to do that because it violated, uh, it violated contract rules. But anyway, the fact that he, always was pushing that stuff. He was just this awesome example of he was a Pistons cast off. They did not even want him. The Nets got him for nothing. And he turned himself into, uh, you know, not a max player, but he got the bag. Right. And he deserved it. And, and everyone won in that situation, by the way, too, like the Nets fans really wanted to keep him. And, and I wanted to, too, because he's a good point of, he's again, like a good point of attack defender. He can play off ball if you need him to. Um, he, he was on ball a ton. So, but he wasn't going to be with this group. We never got to see it because he tore the ACL so early in the season last year, but he would have actually fit with this group pretty well. Um, like they wouldn't have signed Patty Mills if they were able to see, keep Spencer Dimity. Let me put it that way. Like he would have been able to fill that, fill that role. But the fact that he just completely outplayed any expectation around him in the end, like I said, everyone wins. He wins because he gets a big contract, which he deserved. The Nets actually did okay in the sign and trade uh, on the way back for him. They were able to work that out, which was kind of um, it ended up working just because the Wizards wanted him so bad. So the Nets did sort of win in that, and they just won because again he made that team really respectful in a time where their expectations were really low. 
it was like him, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Karis Levert, and that was kind of it. And that team made the playoffs. And um, and so I think from that standpoint, Nets fans will always feel pretty good about it. They'll cheer, they'll cheer him like crazy when he comes back because everyone understands why he left. He just they got paid like twice as much as the Nets were gonna be able to be able to pay him. So tough loss for, to lose him really more from a fan perspective because they kind of did fill in the gaps around them. Right. No, I, yeah, you guys added so much and the, the talent and, and it's already there, but more from a sentimental view. So I get that sure. with, with Spencer Dinner. But uh, as we transition into our next segment, Doug, uh, we, we always like to ask our guests, it's called the Clutch Talk Timeout. So basically my question to you is for the Nets roster, who is the go-to guy? Well, I kind of have a clear answer in my mind. Uh, the go-to guy in Clutch Moments, uh, for the Nets. And then if, if it's just obvious for me, it's KD would be the number sure. one. And then, but maybe talk more about, you know, the pecking order after that, after KD, if he's your number one, who, who are you going to next? Um, and then, you know, following. And then the second part of the question is uh, going into opening night. What's your starting lineup looking like uh, first with Kyrie, obviously, and then without Kyrie and then talk about your rotation as well. So like a two part. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's obvious it's KD. He showed last year in the playoffs that he, um, I mean, he really kind of made his case for to be the best basketball player in the world. I know the Giannis wins the championship, but what KD did just in that series based on what he had around them was on like absolutely unbelievable. So while it's, it's funny because like, it's obvious that it's KD, but it's also like he, it almost went under talked about by the, by the end of it, because he played every single minute for multiple games. They could not stop him. They knew the, the, the bucks knew the uh, ball was going to him every single time. It did not matter. He basically made everything. If it's, if he wears one size smaller of a sneaker uh, there, they move to the next round because his foot's not on the line. So yeah. like, he's clearly the guy I'll actually split with you and I'll, and I'll combine it with the starting lineup. So I think actually the, the, one guy that there is like some pressure on this year in terms of his ability to perform. I actually don't think there's that much around Harden because I think that he just is what it he is what he is at this point. Um, and then same with Kyrie. I actually think there's a lot of pressure on Joe Harris this year because one, I do think that will be the starting lineup because because it's not at home. Kyrie should be able to play, so it'll be Kyrie, Harden, Katie. I think it'll be Joe Harris and then Blake Griffin. And there is some pressure on Joe Harris, not for the regular season. So this is going to take some time to play out, but he really shot poorly in times where they needed him to actually make buckets last year. Like he, in the series, he, like Nets fans, I don't know how much in the Nets Twitter streets you hang out, but they just lost their minds around Joe Harris. He missed some really wide open looks that, that would have probably put the series away. It went, it's another thing that kind of gets shoved under the rug now, but he, like there were some egregious misses. I, I'm a Joe Harris fan. Like I don't like people wanted to trade him. I don't think that's a good idea. But um, I think there is pressure around him this year. Come playoff team, uh, play, playoff time for the team. He makes a lot of money. He's really there to hit threes and play some speed bump defense on wings. And so he really needs to like those shots at come playoff time have to go in this year. And I think the pressure is on him. So I, in terms of hierarchy, I still think it's just Katie Hard and Kyrie. They've, they've established that kind of pecking order within the team. Even Kyrie's been pretty good about saying James Harden is the, uh, is the point guard on the team. But after that, the Harris thing is, um, is a little bit of an elephant in the room because even Sean Marks mentioned it in the offseason saying, like he admitted that he, made, he missed shots. Like he missed shots in the playoffs that he should have made. If he makes two of these wide open threes that he had um, in, the, in the last game, it's, 
again, it's also a wrap. They would have won, and he just didn't knock him down. So I think there's some pressure on him this year uh, to be able to perform at crunch time because if he's making shots, the team's already kind of unstoppable offensively. If he's knocking down 40-plus percent in the, in the playoffs, I mean, they're just going to boat race teams. And he just wasn't able to do it last year. Yeah, man. Uh, on, honestly, jo- Joe Harris definitely had one of those um, those disappointing <laughs> those disappointing playoff playoff uh, runs, man. Kind of, you know, I'm I'm a Lakers fan, so it kind of reminds me of Dennis Schroeder. You know, big disappointing uh, playoff run, man. But all right, so you know, Doug, as as, as we keep moving here, I got I got a bone that I, honestly, I just I needed I need to pick with, with the Nets fan, man. I got I got to I got to talk to a Nets fan about this. And when we so when we look at the league, right? Like we see Joel Embiid's, we see ads, we see Jokic's, and these are all dominant, dominant big men. And I mean, when we first look at the Nets roster, there's some great players in KD and James Harden and Kyrie. But the thing is, like, they aren't the dominant big men's and, and, and the way the, the way that the, that the league worked, the league tends to work in trends, you know, like uh, when the Warriors were, were, were taking over, everybody wanted to go small ball. Everyone just played small ball, but people didn't realize that the Warriors had a seven foot KD who isn't really small ball, man. But um, so, and, and now the way that, that the league is, the trends are there, there are, there are these, these big dominant role, uh, role presence, big, big men. And that's something that when I look at your guys' roster, I don't see. So I just wanted to ask you, Doug, like when you when you look at these other team rosters that, you know, teams that are contending for a championship, teams like the Bucks, teams like uh, Lakers and, and, and Nets. And if to say if the, if Joel Embiid can play well, then 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 the Sixers. Does that concern you when you think that, man, I only have Devontae Kaycock and maybe Nicholas Claxton and uh, older LaMarcus Aldridge? Yeah, so this is the point of contention around roster building that um, I spent way too much time arguing with a couple of people about this on Twitter, which was like an absolute time suck yesterday. But um, I just couldn't help myself. So the um, so this is it's easy to look at the Nets lineup and say they are missing size, um, specifically around being able to. And like the players, you mentioned Jokic, they didn't have to face, but they did face Giannis. And Giannis is a seven footer that can roll to the basket. And if he's a screen setter, he's really, really hard to stop once he gets rolling downhill. Right. So, and we saw it. Now I will say the Nets with their, with their last year's iteration of the team actually did much better against him defensively than either the Suns or the previous round. I forget who they played the previous. I just looked at this yesterday. So they actually did better defensively in terms of his numbers um, overall, which I think is, you, you wouldn't have thought that, I think, watching the series, but it just played out that way. His points and rebounding rebounding per minute dropped when he played the Nets. I don't think it's as big of a problem as people think it is because they have enough bodies. Like at this point with guys like that, you really, and I use this word before, but like you do kind of just want to speed bump them. You're never going to be able to truly stop some of these guys. But if you can throw enough sort of like wide strength at them, like for instance, Giannis, if you, if you can throw guys like James Johnson, Paul Mills have just in front of him enough for enough time, that's actually sometimes good enough. It's not going to stop him. And if he's going to play 40 minutes a game, he's going to score. But if you can slow it down just enough to let your offense, because the gains you make on offense are so overwhelming that you can live with some of the, like some of the problems on defense, if you're going to give things up, then the Nets clearly last year decided they were going to give up a couple of things. They were going to, they were going to give up offensive rebounding a little bit. Um, they were terrible at offensive rebounding. Um, they were going to give up some defense, defensive rebounding also at times because they were going to 
sort of gamble and get out in transition because they knew if they get out in transition, they would absolutely kill you. And so it starts to look bad at times because it looks like there's like really easy baskets. They were sometimes lackadaisical on defense around the interior. In general, though, I think that this is not by accident that they put this team together like this. Like they just let DeAndre Jordan go for a reason. Like DeAndre Jordan was not a good defender. Some people thought that he would have maybe helped in that series. I, I kind of disagree with that, but they had, it's not, it's not like they didn't have, they had this, these guys in the lineup. They had other traditional centers. They could have gotten signed. They don't want to. I, I think it's actually because it's not for lack of trying to get these guys. They just don't think that this kind of player fits with what they're doing. They clock. They do not need someone to clog the lane at all. When you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie um, and even Harden getting to the rim, like you don't need a post-up player even a little bit. Like you need guys who can roll to the basket and can pick and pop threes. And that's like it. You, the worst thing you can have is some big body standing around the basket, taking up room because you, they're just going to be in the way and draw additional defenders in places where you don't need them. So I actually don't, th- I think it's actually pretty purposeful. I get the concern around being able to stop some of these guys. I just think what they've done is the math on, yes, we will lose a little bit around certain players, but what we gain by having some of these guys being pretty good on offense, like Aldridge, like Blake, like um, Millsap, Millsap, I think is going to really look good with this team. Um, it becomes a point where, yeah, they'll lose a little bit, but going the other way, there's no defense that can stop that. There's no, when you have, when you play a five out offense with this group of guys, like when you can, especially when you can run like two guys off pin downs and screens like Harris and have and have Kyrie come off stuff too. It's just totally unstoppable. And so, um, and, the, and having those bigs also be a threat to score is where it becomes unstoppable. Like it was the reason they didn't want to keep DeAndre on the court, even though he might've provided some interior help is because he's such a zero on offense that you didn't really even need to guard him. And so, it actually it actually drew more defenders to the point of attack than you actually really want. And at that point, it's useless. So I get the concern. I see why on paper it looks weird. I just don't think it is that as weird as people are making it out to be because I think that what you gain on offense completely outstrips what you lose on defense. Yeah, and, and real quick, Doug, I one uh, player we didn't really mention, um, and, and there's a lot of talk about the Knicks possibly or sorry sorry the nets excuse me the nets possibly having a youth movement um as well like in the back in the background so talk a little bit about cam thomas who had you know a pretty pretty nice and solid uh preseason game and then nicholas claxton and, and do they have any uh role or or you know expectations coming into the season with with the nets yeah, so Thomas is looking like an absolute steal. He dropped all the way to 27th in the draft. He kept dropping. He was way higher than that on on mock draft stuff. Um, he's a, he's an absolute scorer, and he's already looking like a steal based on draft position. And I know that he has not played an NBA game yet. He he absolutely crushed the summer league. He was a summer league MVP. And then um, take that for what it's worth. And then came right out in the preseason and what his usage rate was off the charts. He got to the line a ton. And so for him. They look like they have something. I don't think he's going to be able to totally crack the rotation early just because he really only scores at this point. And the distribution is pretty non-existent. The defense is not there at all. And so I I don't think he's going to play a ton out of the box, even though Nets fans definitely want it to happen because, again, he already looks like he can get the spots and score pretty easily. And, uh, and I think that's to be something he can grow into. Uh, and there's, I think Nets fans are rightfully excited about him. Claxton. I, I don't see a path for him, frankly. I know that people want it to happen, but I don't 
I'm just not seeing it. And one of the ways I, we talk about this in the podcast a lot is that there's only 240 minutes available for a team in, in any given basketball game, right? That's how you have five guys times 12 times four, right? There's 240 minutes. You have to, there's, that's all that you have to be able to play. He is not going to, it's going to be hard for him to play with some of these other bigs. His game still has severe limitations. Um, he's not good at screening still. He's just too small to kind of screen. He's too skinny. And so um, his screen setting, which you have to be able to do in this Nets offense, if it's under, if it's subpar, it becomes a problem. His around the basket sort of um, his, uh, his like instincts around the basket are still pretty bad. And so uh, from an NBA perspective. And so when those two things are the case, it becomes problematic. I think that actually it sucks to say, cause I really like playing him. He's a really good switch defender and um, he can play above the rim, but I think there's just such limitations in his game at this point that I don't see a path for him early on with the bigs they brought in. So it pains me to say that, but that's like sort of my Nets fans don't want to hear that part of it for sure. But I, I'm worried about his playing time. I actually don't think it's going to be all that robust this year. All right. All right. This is a good place for us to go ahead and start to start to wrap it up here. Uh, two questions that we love to ask, that we love to ask here uh, to all for all the fan, these fan interviews is first being uh, we, let's hope for a healthy season. And we let's hope we never get another COVID ridden season like that again. If we do, you know, especially for you guys at the Nets, where do you see the Nets finishing? We heard Jay Hill in the beginning of the pod make that bold, bold prediction talking about he got the Nets winning. So is that was that your prediction? How far in the playoffs and where and how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I it's hard to not predict them um, to win the championship at this point if all things stay equal. I have a bet right now on on the over of their of their wins, 56 and a half wins. I think that's a total joke. I, I think that um actually I think that some and I'll answer the championship thing in a second, but I think that um fans or excuse me, the books have taken it a little too far in terms of what how much was impacted last season, which I actually think will be less of a problem this year. And the things that impacted the Nets last year are also less of a problem. Their, their bench is way deeper at this point. They can withstand injuries, um, especially during the regular season. Like they can, they can take part of the regular season off, which I think they will do. I think they will really dial it back on some of these guys. And I still think they're going to win a ton of games. Like I think the 56 number is a joke. I think if they really tried, this team could win 70 plus games for sure. For sure. If, if, if that's just how good they are uh, in terms of championships. If they walk into the season, if they walk into the postseason healthy, they're clearly the favorites. They're the favorites. Now Lakers are slightly behind them. Everyone else is pretty far behind them in terms of overall odds. Um, it's just hard to imagine a team really holding serve with them based on how good this team is and the weapons they have on offense. And I get that people look to last year and say, well, you know, this and that, but again, it was just such a totally different team that it's really just not even comparable. And given a whole season for this thing to work out with Kyrie and I'll, I'll right now would just give, I'm glad we have a whole season to sort of work it out. Um, I do believe that it will be worked out well ahead of the, time they start in the playoffs which is forever from now and so um i just don't see a world where they're not at least in the finals like these other east teams are just not really in the same group as them i, I get milwaukee's can defend them pretty well they still have scoring issues um that it did not really get solved in the in the offseason and they lost the guy who defended KD the entire series and pj tucker who moves to the heat Heat. i'm not really worried about the improvements they made uh they got better but uh, it's like not really a team that concerns me. They still have scoring issues too. And then after that, I think the drop-off is pretty severe, like in terms of just overall talent. So it's just hard to see 
any of these teams really giving it a go if the Nets are healthy. If and and I but you say that about every team. Every team you can say if they're healthy. Um, maybe some teams that are a little older, like the Nets are, have a, have do have a little more to worry about, for sure. I still think they can withstand a, like in the regular season injuries to the top of their group in a way that most other teams actually can't. Like they're like if Jan, like if Kevin Durant gets hurt and has to miss a given time, this team is still like a fifty win team. <laughs> right. Like, and, and so um, in a way that like the Bucks aren't, if they lose Giannis or the, the Sixers definitely aren't, if they lose Embiid and with the Simmons situation being a total mess. And so, um, yeah, I just think any way you kind of play out the season, the Nets just come out so far on top for me. I, I, I know people you know said I'm a homer around that. I'm actually, I'll be honest with you. I started this, this podcast. I actually wasn't a Nets fan. I was my, my co-host is a Nets fan. I was just more like a NBA analyst that just chose the Nets three seasons ago, thinking they were probably going to sign one of these guys and ended up choosing. Right. But <laughs> like um, in terms of in terms, so I really actually don't homer them too often this time. It's just because I think the analytics just are so overwhelming in, in their favor that to me, honestly, it's weird. I think they're actually underrated going into the season. Oh, Wow. Okay. Oh, all right. But you know what? But you know, Doug, I have to agree with you, man. Like if, if there's a healthy season for, you know, for the, for the, the I mean, the Lakers and the Nets, like I just don't see not being the Lakers and the Nets in the championship. But then again, man, like, I mean, health always comes, comes in and has a big part in every season, man. So, all right. So, and then, uh, so last word, last question that we'd like to ask here, Doug, is if you could give us one word or one phrase to describe about how you felt as a Nets fan this last season, and then one word or one phrase to describe about how you feel as a Nets fan coming to this 2021-2022 season. Uh, you mean like what I felt at the beginning last season or the end? Just, just at any time, how Doug felt as a, as a Nets fan. Well, this, this season's easy. It's like super bullish. Like again, anything that I wish I could like figure out a way to short other teams instead of just betting on the nets, because I think there's just such an overwhelming favorite that um, like, I, again, I already have money in on, on both the over and the championship because I just am feel very good from an analytics. So I would go, I would go definitely bullish even based on where they stand in current sort of just gambling modalities. <laughs> um, uh, and then at the end of last season, it was more just uh, I would say um, optimistic because I really didn't go out of this out of the season disappointed just because I felt like it was such a weird and wonky season that, you know, it's something like Lakers too. Like you saw it, Lakers just ran bad with this too. You just get, you get guys hurt at the wrong times and that's just the end of the season. So I, I think optimistic at the end of the season, didn't feel all that disappointed. Um, and then going into the season, definitely bullish. Okay. All right. So Doug, I actually, when, when, as you were talking, I, I, I thought of another question. This is a little off script yeah. here. And I, I, I want your opinion. I want Jay Hill's opinion too on this, but it is like, I mean, I've been, I've been watching the, I'm, I'm 22. I've been watching the NBA for as long as, as long, as long as I've been alive. Right. So I, I've gotten to see some, I've gotten to see some great teams. You know, I, I was alive for the, for, for, for that. Oh, one Lakers team, but wasn't really watching. I watched all of that great warriors dynasty. Those are some of the greatest teams, but I just wanted to get, get your opinion on this. Like Doug, do you think this is the most like talented team of all time? Like above the 95, 96 bulls above the Warriors, above the Lakers. Well, I mean, it's hard to say that because, um, I mean, like Jordan, any team with Jordan is going to be pretty far, far above. I, although I, I got to say, I'm, I'm still like team LeBron is the best, but um, Me too. I, 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 like, Me too. I, like, I think that I really don't like entertaining that debate because it seems actually sort of silly at this point based on longevity and just overall, like what he's done for his career. Um, I mean, in terms of overall talent, 
Yeah, it's close. Uh, those Warriors teams, I mean, well, Durant was on both. So Durant was on both teams. Like You put Steph up in that group, Draymond. They, this team doesn't have a version of Draymond. I mean, Kyrie's probably better than Clay, but they just, their games are different, so it's hard to compare. I would say it's up there. Like Going into the season, I, I wouldn't say it's definitively the best, but it's definitely walking into a season, overall talent definitely is in the conversation. And yeah, I, th- I, I think it has to be. And that's why I, it's funny you say it that way, because the I think that's actually where my thought process had come from around their win total. Because when you put when you look at the group of talent and what this group of talent going into the season has been able to do in regular seasons before, it's way better than 56 and 26. Like that's just you know what I mean? I, I, I know 70 is crazy. Like 70 and 12 is, a, is the nuts number. And I don't think they'd actually are going to do that because they will rest guys. But this group of talent, it just feels like that number is way is just way too low based on how some of the other talent is spread out through the league. Right. Because if you look at every other team, they have one guy. Most teams have one and a half guys. The Lakers have two, wherever you want to count Russ, um, two and a half, let's say, although whatever. But like the, you know, most teams have a one and a half style superstar. The, the, the Nets legit have like, I'll say two and three quarters, wherever you want to put Kyrie. And because Harden, Harden and Durant are, are, are totally set. And then there's some debate about where Kyrie lands. It just, even if you look from that top down, and then you get all the way down. You add all these other guys, all this other veteran presence, all this other smarts, the guys that they actually, the draft class is actually going to end up looking pretty good. Cam Thomas is going to be able to contribute, right? Who they got in the offseason. I just, this is what I meant about being underrated. It's weird to call the team that's the favorite underrated. I actually do think they're underrated from this point of view. I think it's it's hard for people to make the leap to say they're this team that should be considered in the group like you just mentioned, but I don't think it's crazy to say it. Okay, and Jay, what about you, brother? Because I know you was heavily watching those Warriors series. Yeah, no, I think it's like Doug said, it's more, it's a weighted question because it's a lot of the teams had players who do something very well. Like Rodman was a great defender. Obviously, Scotty could score and defend. You know, Jordan was one of the best scorers to ever do it. And then you look at the Warriors team, obviously, Clay and Steph are both great shooters. Steph can, can create for his own shot. Clay is less of a shot creator. And then KD, obviously, we know he's a pure scorer, probably one of the best scorers ever. Um, and then Draymond's a defender. But I, th- I think in terms of when you look at Brooklyn, more to me, I think of them as three of probably together, one of t- three of the purest scores ever put together, like on a floor. And that's where I think they're probably one of the best in that category. But overall, teams, I don't know if I am would go as far to say that, but definitely up there, like Doug mentioned, but m- more in the sense of scoring rather than overall team and roster you know, makeup. Yeah, the, the the way I was thinking about it was like Matt, the the K uh, the Nets are more of just they're out of all those teams out of the Lakers teams and the Bulls teams they're probably the best top heavy team but the Lakers and the Bulls they have a better overall complete roster I would I would say you know with the Rodmans with the Draymonds with uh, just to complete the entire roster round but okay I just I just I just wanted to definitely talk to a, a Nets fan and and Jay Hill's a Warriors fan so this is great right here man the <laughs> guy Warriors Perfect. Nets and Lakers so all right man so to, this is a good place for us to for us to go ahead and and, uh, and wrap it up here. Um, Doug, we like to do this game here on, on Clutch Talk. It's the closing segment called, called Guess the Player. This is how Guess the Player works. I have three players here listed. Uh, both you and Jay Hill have two guesses for each player. I have accolades since they did 
teams that they were drafted to. And you guys guess. You can just blurt it out whenever you get it. You got it? Yeah. All right, let's oh, do so this. Wait, 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 real quick. We're just we just say it. We don't we don't write down our answer and hold it up to the camera. We no, just you, you, you no, just, just say it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you got, it. It. You got it. All right, let's do this. Our first player, he was drafted by the New Jersey Nets. He's a one-time NBA champion. He is a – Brooke Lopez. One, no. He is oh. a one-time gold medalist in the year of 2003. I'll put that out there. He is always on TV nowadays. Back, back in the day, he had crazy bounce. Okay. Um, I, by the way, I'm just going to jump in here. The Brooke Lopez thing was embarrassing because I had the Lakers draft. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I, already regret, I already regret that one. Um, keep going. So he crazy bounce. Oh, okay. I'm so bad with stuff like this. He, I, um, he, he has a tattoo on his arm that says RJ. Oh, Richard, Richard Jefferson. Jefferson. There you go. <laughs> there okay. you go, guys. You know, I was yeah. going to say him. I was going to say him after the TV thing, but then I forgot about the bounce part and that threw me off. Uh, but, but it's all right because I already embarrassed myself with the Brooke Lopez thing. So I, I <laughs> shouldn't even count for me. No, it's yeah. all good, man. These guest <laughs> players are hella hard. All right, here we go. Next player. Next player. This guy is a two time NBA MVP, a eight time All Star, a five time assist leader, a four time. 50, 40, 90. Steph? Nope. He's a three-time all-NBA first defense, uh, first team player. He is a current coach. You you, you said a champion. You said a champion at the beginning. He was a three-time champion. He he, he is a one-time champion as a player. Gotcha. He's a current coach in the NBA right now. Oh, Jay Kidd? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, Jake. Yes, that sir. Was, oh man. I didn't realize he won two champions. I, uh, I didn't realize he it was it, he had one he had one as as the Mavericks, and then he also had one as the uh on a coaching staff. So then, like uh, they, the they, oh, they right, counted, right. yeah. As okay, all right. All right, here we go. Last player, last player. This guy is a one-time rookie of the year. This guy is a four-time champion, a two-time scoring champion. A one-time NBA MVP, a three-time Finals MVP, a three-time All-Star Game MVP, eight All-NBA First Team appearances. LeBron? No. 15-time All-Star. Okay. His His nickname is a gas that you can put into a car. The diesel jack? Yes, sir. The diesel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> All right. Well, that, 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 that was fun, man. Well, this is a good place for us to go ahead and start to uh, wrap it up here. Dave, I mean, Doug, we, we really appreciate you, man. We really appreciate you coming on and um, blessing us with your time, man. As, as we see, you're extremely knowledgeable, not just Nets fan, but NBA fan, man. But do you got any uh, last words to say here before we uh, check off? No, I really appreciate it. Go Nets this season. Uh, much appreciated jumping on the show. Love to talk basketball anytime. So uh, if you ever want to talk a little more Nets, maybe later in the season, if they're looking like they're on the road, if, if, they're, if they're bad, don't call me. But if they're good, I'll, I'll front run with the best of them. So uh, no problem there. Perfect, man. Jay Hill, you got any last words for the Nets fans? No, I'm excited to see what the Nets do this season. And Doug, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Yeah, much appreciated, guys. Nets. Yeah, that was great. Yes, sir, man. So for all the fans, make sure you guys go check out all of Dave, all of Doug's work on the Locked On Nets podcast, man. Everything will be in the description down below. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and that's it, man. We out of here, y'all. Clutch Talk out.